Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast, our 50th episode, Yay! Da, 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 which feels super exciting. I can't believe that we have done 50 episodes. It is. I feel like super impressed with our longevity. Yeah, we started this podcast in 2019. Yeah, not knowing, you know, what was going to happen <laughs> and how like important it became to me that we kept doing this. Yeah. So that like I had something to occupy my mind in the long hours of quarantine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty crazy the path that we've been on. But we appreciate all the people that have been on it with us. We have had over 100,000 total downloads of episodes of our podcast, which Feels really good that this many people want to listen to us talk about fairy tales. Yeah. I'm happy that we could be entertaining, like, people. Yeah. We had very low expectations for how many people <laughs> would listen to this podcast. And those expectations were completely blown out of the water. Yeah. And it's good to know that there are people who are as, like, dorkily interested in this stuff as I am. Yeah, and we just appreciate all of you. If you're listening to this, it means you have downloaded an episode of our podcast. And so for that, we thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On those same lines, I wanted to go through and kind of mark this occasion by reading some of the reviews that people have written for our podcast. Because did you know that people have left reviews about our podcast? I did. And I know that there's one bad one. <laughs> <laughs> there is one bad one. Maybe we'll share it. Maybe we won't. Maybe they'll just be in the bloopers. Who knows? Yeah. But... But lots of people have said lots of really nice things about us. And I just wanted to, again, thank them for that. So we had one that said, as the title, I love being educated with humor, exclamation point. And they gave us a very good review. And they said, fairy tales shape and influence our society. It's something that seems so obvious once you express this, but it's not something I consciously realized. So I'm glad Katrina and Jeff explore this for us and explain it to us with humor. I've already laughed and learned a lot. You guys have very good chemistry, too. Exclamation point. It's like, oh, yeah, made me happy. I live to make people laugh. Yeah, especially because it is like when I first started like writing the blog, yeah. some people might not know this. It, my interest in fairy tales started off. I was writing a blog retelling stories and my only goal in the whole thing was just to make my sister laugh. And so it's so nice and rewarding that, like, other people are also laughing at the stuff that we're currently doing. Yeah. And this one stood out to me because, you know, they talked about how they learned something. They learned how much that they shape and influence our society in ways that, yeah. you know, they didn't realize. And to be honest, when, when we started the podcast, I also didn't really realize the ways that, that it influences our culture, too. So it's like they're learning the same things that I've been learning. And that's just a, it's cool. Yeah. So another one said... Makes everything instantly more entertaining. Never has scrubbing the shower or cleaning a diaper out of the washer and all the clean clothes it touched been so fun. <laughs> That's when I'm listening to this podcast. Seriously. The content is fascinating. I love the things I'm learning and it's hilariously entertaining. 
It's like oh, another really good one. I love that, especially because it is like these stories were told while people were trying to get like chores done and just like tedious menial tasks done and they were entertaining each other's stories. So I love that it's like, I'm so glad that you can listen to a podcast with these same stories that are hundreds of years old while we're still cleaning up after (laughs) children. Carrying on the tradition. It's great. (laughs) Another one, like listening to very entertaining friends. Listening to Katrina and Jeff is like hanging out with great friends who like to laugh a lot and tell interesting stories. I love the topic and all the different stories and insights they share. I'm learning a lot while being entertained. I'm like, it's exactly like being uh, entertained and told stories by good friends. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. I'm glad that, uh, that someone listening feels that same way. Yeah. Kind of along that same line, another reviewer said, Passionate and fun. The two hosts with charming chemistry make for an excellent podcast I always look forward to. Oh. It's like, oh. I love how many people talk about our, like, chemistry. Yeah. That's great. That it's like, oh, they're really good friends. Yeah. And it's true. We are. Okay. I know y'all want to hear the bad review too. And I'm only sharing it because it's not that bad. So they quoted something that Katrina had said in an episode. I didn't watch it, but my cousin told me dot, dot, dot is a two star review. (laughs) Angela Bassett played Marie Laveau. Angela Bassett is not a white woman. How dare you what's so funny is like this review goes back to our episode on like voodoo yeah and i had been talking to my cousin in the car about marie laveau and she was like that name sounds familiar was she a character on american horror story whatever season it was and i was like oh i have no idea i've never seen it and she was like was she she was like, I think she was played by such and such a lady. And it was like a white actress. Uh-huh. But then when she described her to me, I was like, that's weird that they would have her acting like that. Yeah. When the Marie Laveau was nothing like. So it was my cousin was misremembering which characters were who yeah. on that old season. Of, yeah. And so I brought a little bit of that up in the episode because I was like, I guess that in American horror story, there is a character of Marie Laveau, but she might've been. And so, yeah, this person got very offended that I, I was not saying that Angela Bassett (laughs) was a white woman. Right. We just didn't know. And I think we made a correction on this afterwards, but yeah, that was, that review is so funny to me. Same. (laughs) Cause that person is really angry about, A very, very specific thing. A very specific thing that even in the episode, I was kind of like, uh. Yeah, you very much couched it in like, hey, uh, don't quote me on this. I only know this like secondhand. (laughs) And even that was not like that confidently stated. Then this person was like, no, I am going to quote you on it. (laughs) They they just had this piece of (laughs) knowledge that they really wanted to show that they knew. Uh. So that was really nice to hear good things and get feedback and to know that people are listening and enjoying the podcast. And we appreciate these people writing in, not just to say good things about us, but giving us good reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast helps it be heard by more people. And it really helps the podcast. So we would love to hear your review. Uh, if you want to go in and leave a review for us, it really does help the podcast. And we just love hearing from 
other people that are interested in fairy tales and especially people that listen to our podcast. And if you guys find a way to work in either the word Doolahan and or how much you have learned about animal husbandry <laughs> on our podcast, we will read your reviews out loud in our in a future episode. It would make me just supremely happy. So what's our topic for today? Our topic for today is, of course, super exciting and fascinating, interesting to me. As always. Yes. I was telling Jeff, I feel like every time I sit down to record a podcast, I'm like, oh, this is super exciting, very good, like, really good information, really fun stuff. And it's like, well, of course, because I'm like, we're talking about it because I'm nerding out about it. (laughs) And so, like, obviously, this episode is also going to be something that I'm nerding out about and I'm super excited to talk about. But saying you're excited about an episode of our podcast is like saying that you love your children. You may say it all the time, but it's always true. Indeed. It absolutely is. <laughs> and it doesn't take away from it at all. <laughs> no. This podcast is my new baby. <laughs> Maybe. So today we are going to be talking about Jack and the Beanstalk and other Jack-related items. So normally when we do episodes with very well-known tales... We start at the beginnings of that tale type and kind of move our way forward, which will actually lead us to the most well-known tale of that type. But we aren't going to do that for our friend Jack. We're going to be starting with one of the most famous stories of Jack really fast, and then we're going to jump over to the eastern mountains of North America, the Appalachian Mountain region. So Jack and the Beanstalk is one of the most famous Jack tales currently in circulation. I get this one screen grab of a Tumblr conversation pretty regularly about Jack, and I don't mind getting it. I don't want people to think that when they send me stuff, I'm like irritated or that I think like any less of them or whatever, because it's it's an interesting thing. Always, please, always send me fairy tale and folklore related content. I love it. And even if I've already seen it before, I still appreciate people thinking of me and sending me stuff. Oh, yeah. So this Tumblr conversation, it is from an account called Fan Theories and Food Porn. Um, (laughs) Just in case anyone wants to look up this reference (laughs) for literary reasons, for scholarly research. Yes. It's a very, like, niche area of interest. Those two things combined. Yes. fan, Fan theories and food porn. But anyway, it says, fun fact, according to folklorists, all myths, fairy tales, and nursery rhymes that are about some dude named Jack are talking about the same guy. What this means is that every single one of the following, Jack be nimble, who jumped over burning candlesticks for fun, Jack the giant killer, who sold his cows for magic beans, then robbed and killed the giant, Stingy Jack, who tricked the devil so many times he was banned from both afterlifes. Jack of Jack and Jill, who splattered his head open falling down a hill. Jack O'Lantern, the headless horseman, spirit of Halloween. Jack Frost, the spirit who heralds the end of autumn and the start of winter, are literally the same jackass who made so many bad life choices, he ended up an immortal ice doulahan with a pumpkin serving as both his head and flashlight. End quote. Which, while that sounds really epic, and I definitely yeah. appreciate Immortal Ice Doolahan, 
as <laughs> in there. Um, that it this is not accurate, like at all. But it would make for an awesome movie. It would make for an epic movie. And uh, in that person's <laughs> defense, the account is fan theories and food porn. So that is their fan theory, their yeah. headcanon about Jack. Yes, totally, totally fine. So there are a lot of European fairy tales that have a kind of everyman archetypal character. And the name will be pretty consistent. And so in Germany, you have Hans or Hansel. So in the Grimm's Brothers collection, you'll get stories about Hans going through his life like a goof and still coming out on top. There's a Mm -hmm. story, Hans and Luck, which is a great example of that. Ivan, Ivan the Fool, is usually the name used for a man in Russian fairy tales that is that kind of what you would call a Jack character. Jack is the name, Jack or John, is the name of the English everyman character. Some of the tale types that include these characters are related to each other. So... I'm like, I understand where that Tumblr account got kind of like misled Mm -hmm. because yeah, like the tail types are related to each other in that, like the type we're going to be looking at today is the ATU tail type three, two, eight, the boy steals the giant's treasure. So the tails themselves are related to each other, but the characters aren't the same character having a new adventure. Gotcha. So when that happens, it's called a tale cycle or a cycle of tales. Later on this year, we're going to be looking at a cycle of tales called Sinbad the Sailor and the Thousand One Nights. So all Sinbad or Sindbad stories in the Thousand One Nights are not the same guy. Okay. But. Just blew my mind right there. But in the Sinbad the Sailor cycle of stories, there are like seven different voyages and they all involve the same character going on the same trip. Gotcha. So in this case with Jack, not all stories with Jack in them are the same guy. So Jack Frost isn't even anywhere close to being related to the Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk. Not in like a story cycle way. Right. But in an archetypal character kind of way, they might act similarly mm-hmm. to each other, but they're not the same guy. So I think in the Tumblr post, it's an example of someone seeing folklore saying like Jack Tales as a phrase right. to describe the archetypal character of Jack, John, Hans, Hansel, Ivan the Fool. <laughs> Who's this young adult male trickster character who gets away with things either through his wits or sheer luck or a combination of both. And who also at the same time is not a moralizing character at all. Meaning that like when we are telling these stories, there are usually times when like Jack is doing things that are not okay society wise and so there's not an easy way at the end of the story to like tack on a moral because what he's doing is usually not moral right interesting and so like i can see why somebody would look at that and go like oh 
I think folklorists are saying all Jack tales are about the same guy instead of realizing that what folklorists are saying is that this is the same type of guy. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But going back to like the brief history of the Jack that we're going to be talking about today, if we're talking about Jack tales that are a cycle of tales, we do have a cycle of Jack tales. There's a group of tales called Jack the Giant Killer. And Jack the Giant Killer is one of the oldest cycles of Jack stories. And it goes back to tales that were King Arthur type adventures. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in Jack the Giant Killer tales, there are several of them. It's all the same Jack character who's showing up and going on these like different adventures. But each story is kind of self-contained, which that's how you know it's a, a... story a tale cycle or a cycle of tales um so in those tales jack is extremely strong and he's very very clever and basically this hero goes off on these wild bloody adventures to defeat these huge monster type creatures he's closer to being a knight type of a character a warrior type of character so he is not in that cycle of tales what you would consider as an everyman Some people have theorized that like King Arthur tales had kind of gone out of like vogue or people were kind of like bored with them. And so Jack tales showed up in like Jack the Giant Killer where he's still tangentially related to what's going on in this like kingdom of King Arthur. Yeah. And he's still this kind of warrior hero kind of dude, but just kind Mm -hmm. of a, a new something new, something fresh. Right. From the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales, it says, When Jack tales were rewritten for refined sensibilities later in the 18th and 19th centuries, the crudity of their gory killings disappeared. King Arthur faded away. Jack became an earthly everyboy and the giant, a geographically unlocalizable married oaf. And we're because he's. We're going to see has a wife reachable only by the magic of a bean that grew endlessly heavenward. Thus revised Jack tales incorporated modern fairy tale elements of social rise through magical enrichment. So we're definitely going to do an episode at some point on Jack and the giant killer and probably several on King Arthur at some point. Do not worry, but that is not today's episode. (laughs) The story of Jack and the Beanstalk was first written down in 1809 as the history of Jack and the Beanstalk by a man named Benjamin Talbert. So he claimed that his version of the tale was an original by him and parts of that might be so, but the majority of this tale was circulating around before him. What's interesting is that the parts that might've been original to him actually turned Jack into a really noble young man who, like, was avenging his father's death, where, like, the the giant had stolen his father's riches, his father's treasures, uh, killed his father and gone away. And so he's, right. like, avenging the death. Yeah. And he's not stealing from the giant. He's, he's just taking getting, back what's his. Correct. That's so yeah. funny. He's just making it so that the Jack character is, like, the typical Hollywood note. It's like, our main character is not likable. Like, we need to make it justifiable what he's doing so that he's a 
likable character. Yeah, so arguably the most well-known Jack Tail that as we know it today was collected and written down by Joseph Jacobs in the 1890s in his book English Fairy Tales. We haven't talked at all, I don't think about Joseph Jacobs. Um No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think cuz we haven't talked a whole lot about like English fairy tales. I was just about to say that too. Is like I think this is the first time going to like England. Yeah. So really briefly on Joseph Jacobs, because he is a pretty big name in folklore collectors for both English fairy tales and Celtic fairy tales. My cousin actually had found a book by him at like a thrift store and was she like grabbed it and was like, would you be interested in this book for 50 cents? <laughs> and I was like, yes. And yes, she only I got would. for 25, but she was making 100% Ooh, profit yeah. on it. <laughs> I think she actually ended up giving it to me for nothing. She was Aww, like, she was just so like, sweet. oh, you didn't get back to me fast enough. So I just decided that for 50 cents, <laughs> I would get the book for you. And so I was like, oh, yeah. And so the one that I have on my bookshelf is Celtic fairy tales. But anyways, so Joseph Jacobs was a Jewish man who was born in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> Ooh. In the 1850s. Uh. But he went to university in Sydney University, then Cambridge University, and then the University of Berlin. So a very international education. Yeah. Uh. And his first works as a folklorist and as a historian were actually primarily focused on uh, Jewish history, mm-hmm. which... Like, of course, that's like a area that he was really interested in as he was a Jewish man. Yeah. England at the time was really interested in the folklore collecting that was going on around the world. And Joseph Jacobs noticed that there was a gap in the collections because no one was collecting or focusing on English fairy tales. There hadn't really yet been a like Charles Perrault, a Grimm's brother inspiration that had happened yet in England. And... So he started to collect English fairy tales and Celtic fairy tales. And he collected those and wrote four books, I believe, that was English fairy tales, Celtic fairy tales, more English fairy tales, and more Celtic fairy tales, I think, (laughs) were like the titles of the books. One of the interesting things about that to me is we've talked about so much how fairy tales have been so undervalued by their country of origin yeah because it's kind of around that same time period that the Grimm's brothers had collected theirs and they were being translated into English because people wanted to read it same with like other you know other things like that it's yeah like they were interested in stories from other places but it's like oh we've heard these stories around these aren't like interesting stories they didn't see the value in the stories that they all grew up with yeah because they grew up with them they took it for granted Exactly. So it's just fascinating that England, a place that was very interested in the stories from other places, was kind of late to the game and like, hey, let's collect our own stories. Yeah, because like people are so often like they're focused on like the other and like yeah. they see people outside of them as like exotic tales because it's even like the Thousand and One Nights, Antoine Galan, like he knew that there was a market for like these Middle Eastern tales 
Because yeah. other people would be fascinated by this, like, other region. But meanwhile, in the Middle East, they were like, why are people interested in these, like, trash gutter yeah. stories? Yeah. Be- especially because, you know, you had people who were writing good literature in the Middle East. Yeah. And they and were they like. They that. They're yeah, like, well, yeah, they were like, <laughs> why are you peddling our garbage when we're making art? Was yeah. kind of like the the thinking, which, you know, fair enough, except that, you know, I don't think that folk tales are garbage. Right. But yeah, it's it's so often like that's like what happens that they see the other is very like fascinating, interesting, and then they skip looking at what they have and like the richness that they have. Yeah. And so yeah, it's it's these books kind of came later in the game. Like I said, this one was published in like the 1890s, yeah. which the Brothers Grimm published their first collection in like the early 1800s. So in Joseph Jacobs first book on the subject of English fairy tales called English fairy tales, we have recorded the story of Jack and the beanstalk. And that's the version that Jeff is going to retell to us. So there once upon a time was a poor widow. It actually started with once upon a time for once. We love it when we see it. So the widow had a son, one son, her only son, and his name was Jack. And they also had a cow whose name was Milky White, which was an appropriate name for this cow because the only thing that they had to live on was the milk that they got from this cow, Milky White, every morning that they carried to market and sold. And I find it really interesting that the cow is a named character. Yeah. (laughs) One, because we talk a lot about, about like things that don't, get a name in stories. But then also a lot of the times when I hear the tale, Jack and the Beanstalk, it's just referred to as a cow. Like it doesn't get a name, but in the musical, uh, into the woods, Mm -hmm. that cow is given a stated name inside of that play. And it's given the name milky white. And so it's just funny because it's like, they didn't just come up with that. Which it's I thought I, I thought that they, you know, when yeah. I first saw Into the Woods, I assumed it was, you know, exclusive to the play Into the Woods. But no, right. this is where the name comes from in Into the Woods. And I think it's also interesting that they give it a name and the name that they give it, because what happens next is one morning, Milky White gave no milk. Garbage. So it's like the characteristic of this cow that led to it being named what it is, is now undermined by the fact that it gave no, no milk, which I think is just great storytelling. And while that is, in my opinion, great storytelling, it's not great news for Jack and his <laughs> poor widowed mother, because now they have no way to get money to survive. So Jack's mom, who doesn't get a name, but the cow does. <laughs> is very upset. She's wringing her hand. She's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jack's like, mom, don't worry. I'll, I'll go get a job somewhere and you know it'll be fine. <laughs> and his mom, very supportive. He's like, oh, we've tried that already before. No one's going to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> we got to take Milky White to the market and we'll sell her. And then we'll start a shop or something like that. And so Jack, very good, obedient boy. Good, maybe not. We'll find out later. But <laughs> obedient to his mother. Was like, okay, it is market day today. I'll take Milky White, seller, and then we can figure it out from there. So he hadn't gone very far when he met a funny-looking old man who said to him, 
good morning, Jack. And Jack was like, oh, good morning to you. Wondering to himself, how does this dude know my name? And the guy's like, hey, Jack, where are you off to? And Jack tells him kind of like, oh, I'm going to go sell this cow. So while Jack's wondering how this guy knows his name, how does this guy know who I am? The guy keeps asking him questions like, oh, where are you going? And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to go sell this cow at the market. And the guy's like, hey, you look just like the type of guy that would sell a cow. Don't know what that's supposed to mean. But he... <laughs> Is that a really underhanded comment? Yeah, I was like, is it an insult? Is it a dig? Is it a compliment? Who knows? I think it was a dig because the next thing he says is, I wonder if you know how many beans make five. So he's like, you look like the type of guy that could sell a cow, but do you know how to count to five? (laughs) And Jack, sharp as a needle, it says, was like, two in each hand and one in your mouth. That makes five. And the old man's like, right, that's correct. I happen to have those very beans right here in my hand. And he pulls out some strange looking beans. He's like, because you're so smart, I wouldn't mind doing a trade with you. I will give you these beans in exchange for your cow. And Jack is like, Oh really? You don't say. (laughs) And so the guy's like, well, Hey, you, you don't know what these beans are. If you plant these beans overnight, they'll grow all the way up to the sky. And Jack's like, hmm, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. <laughs> and so the old man's like, yes, it's true. And if it's not, you've got 100% money back guarantee. <laughs> you can bring the beans back and I'll give you your cow back. And so Jack's like, okay. Hands over the cow, takes the beans, and he goes back home. And his mom's like, uh, hey. You're back already? I see you don't have Milky White, so I assume you must have sold her. How much did you get for her? And Jack is like, mother, you're never going to guess how much I got for this. And she's like, really? She's like, oh, what a good boy. Five pounds? Ten pounds? Fifteen pounds? No. No, you didn't get 20 pounds for that cow. He's like, I told you you couldn't guess. What do you say about these beans? (laughs) They're magical. (laughs) They're magical. Plant them overnight and... His mother, like, interrupts. She's like, what? She freaks out. She's like, you're such a fool. She calls him a bunch of names. She's like, you're a fool, adult, an idiot. She's like, you gave Milky White away, the best milker in the parish, and and prime beef to boot for a set of beans. And it says, she says, take that, take that, take that, which I can only assume means that she is smacking the crap out of him (laughs) for trading the cow for beans. She took off her shoe and it's just... (laughs) She's got a a (laughs) flip-flop. She can beat her children with. She's like, and as for your precious beans, and she grabs them, she throws them out the window. She's like, now you go off to bed. I'm not giving you anything to eat or drink because she's just so furious with them. Of course, yes. I don't condone child abuse. (laughs) But I understand her anger. Yes. That was the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals. (laughs) (laughs) So Jack goes up to his... Little room in the attic, very sad and very sorry, kind of feeling for himself like, oh, man, my mom's probably right. I probably did get completely suckered into trading our cow for some beans. And he was very hungry because he got sent to bed without any supper. So he drifts off to sleep. And when he wakes up, the room looks weird and he can't really place it at first. He's like, the sun is shining into part of it, but the rest of it is like really dark in shade. And he's like, that's not normal. So he jumps up, gets dressed, and he goes to the window. And what do you think he saw out that window? 
he saw that the beans his mother had thrown out into the garden sprung up into a big beanstalk that went up and reached into the sky, just like the old man said. He wasn't lying. It was true. And we all thought he was a (laughs) swindler. Shame on us. So moral of the story, if an old man in the woods makes you a trade that's too good to be true, it probably is true, and you should just believe it. (laughs) No. If an old man approaches you in the woods, run the other way, children. This episode should not be used as uh, advice. Yeah, don't do anything that Jack does. Legally, we have to tell you that. (laughs) Our our lawyers have instructed me to tell you that you should not do anything that Jack does in this story. So because the beanstalk was growing so close to his window, he just opened his window and jumped onto the beanstalk, which was going up just like a big ladder into the sky. So I don't know what compelled him to do this, but he just started climbing. And he climbed 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 until at last he reached the sky. And when he got there, he found a big road, like a big straight road. And so he drops off the beanstalk, hops onto the road, and he starts walking along until he comes to a big, tall house. And on the doorstep, there was a big, tall woman. And we say big and tall. We don't just mean like, oh, she was like six foot five or something like that. It's like she was a giant. And this was a giant house. And so Jack, ever the polite boy, which is one thing that you can emulate from him, says good morning to her. And he asks her, he's like, hey, would you be so kind as to give me some breakfast? Because I'm starving because my mom sent me to bed without my supper. She's like, oh, you want some breakfast? Well, if you don't get out of here, you're going to be breakfast because (laughs) my husband, he is an ogre and he likes nothing more than eating little shrimps like you. I don't mean little literal shrimps. I mean human (laughs) boys. He's like, you better get along or he's going to be coming back and he's going to want to eat you. And Jack persists and he's like, please give me something. He's like, I haven't had anything to eat since yesterday and I'm really, really, really hungry. Please. I haven't had anything to eat since yesterday. He gives her the whole spiel. Really and truly, I'm starving. I might as well be broiled as die of hunger. Which it's like, dude, you haven't eaten in like a day. You should be okay. I don't know. It sounds a lot like me. (laughs) He's a little dramatic. A little dramatic. Well, it turns out that the ogre's wife, while married to an ogre who just eats people, was not half bad after all. So she takes Jack into the kitchen, gives him some bread, cheese, milk, and Jack hadn't even half finished all these things when you start hearing the dum, dum, dum of footsteps returning to the house. And the whole house was shaking with these footsteps. And so the giant woman is like, oh my gosh, it's my husband. He's coming back. What am I going to do? And so she's like, uh, okay. And so she bundles up Jack and puts him in the oven. Not to cook him, but just <laughs> to hide him. This or isn't so an think. urban legend where some babysitter <laughs> is on LSD. And so the giant comes in and he is huge. And on his belt, he has three calves strung up by the heels, takes them off, throws them down the table. He's like, here, wife, broil me a couple of these for breakfast. And then he like kind of stops and sniffs. He's like, wait a minute. You fart? What's that I smell? (laughs) (laughs) And he says the famous line, fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. And the wife is like, oh, nonsense, dear. You're dreaming. Or maybe you smell the scraps of the little boy you liked so much for dinner yesterday. He's like, here, go have a wash and tidy up. And by the time you get back, I'll have your breakfast ready for you. 
what what I'm wondering about there is I'm like, did he show up at the house with like a dead kid and say, cook this for me? Oh, probably because Jack, a lot of other boys probably don't just like. But you do bring about the boy. Like, how did they get the boy? Before? Oh, yeah. But then I had thought to myself, oh, wait. Yeah. The other boys that they eat probably don't have a magic beanstalk and they don't show up at the house because I was like, why is this lady leaving him alive? But she cooked a kid yesterday. Yeah, because the guy probably brought it back already dead. Yeah, and was like, cook this. And she's like, okay. But it does bring up the question of like, if they live up in the clouds, I guess he's got to come down. Oh, man, there's a really interesting picture because I've always wondered this too. Like, how is this like a city in the clouds? Because like, are there people that live like are there yeah. little people that live up there too are there do they raise livestock in the clouds and he's and, getting a boy from the clouds yeah i'm like is the livestock that they raise in the clouds a herd of human children these are really dark questions that you're asking yeah. jeffrey we're we're looking for logical consistency where there is none yeah looking for meaning in a meaningless world <laughs> this this one picture that i saw oh who is it by george Crookshanks, which makes me feel funny because that's the name of Hermione's cat. cat. But the way that he drew it, like illustrated it, I don't know, it might be too light for you to see, is that the beanstalk Ah. grew up next to a really high mountain. Yeah. And so there's like a cliff sticking out that that's what Jack gets to the top of. And then so he's actually, the giants are just living up in the mountains. Mountains, yeah. Which that made more sense to me that, that then that they were living in the clouds. Yeah. So if that's the case, then the <laughs> the guy can get children by like marching. roaming down into Yeah, the, roaming yeah. down into like the valley. Which you'd think that if that was happening, that would be kind of like a bigger problem that they would yeah. talk about like as a as a group and a culture. And I feel like that is more of what happens in Jack the Giant Killer. Than in this story. Than in this story. Because in it's, this story, we don't know any of that. Yeah, it sounds like he's like, oh, who knew the giants were up here? So the ogre goes off to tidy up and get ready. And Jack was going to get out of the oven and just run until the woman kind of stops and tells him not to. He's like, wait until he's asleep. He always has a little nap after breakfast. So the ogre comes back, eats his breakfast. And after that, He goes to this big chest, takes out a couple of bags of gold, sits down and counts the gold or starts counting the gold until he starts to nod off. He begins to snore and the whole house is shaking with this ogre's snores. Then Jack gets out from the oven. And as he's passing by the ogre on the way out of the house, he's like, hmm, there's some bags of gold here. So he grabs one and goes off throws the bag of gold down and scurries down the beanstalk after it. That bag of gold had fallen like right into his mother's garden. So when he reaches the bottom, he gathers up the gold, takes it in the house and shows it to his mom. And he's like, mom, see, look, wasn't I right about the beans? They are magical. I was able to get some gold. So they live on that gold for a little while, but then the gold runs out. And so Jack's like, hey, I know where I can get some more gold. By breaking into a giant's house. (laughs) So he climbs up the beanstalk once again early in the morning. And he climbed and 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 climbed until again he came out onto the road that led to the big tall house that he'd been to before. And sure enough, he sees the same giant lady standing on the doorstep. And he greets her. 
quote, bold as brass, saying, good morning, mom. So the giant woman, when she sees him, is like, no, get out of here. My husband eats boys like you for breakfast. He's like, wait a minute. Aren't you the one that came here before? It's like, you know what? The very day you were here, a bag of my husband's gold went missing. And Jack is like, wow, that's really weird. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I might be able to tell you something about that if you give me a little food. Oh, my God. But so she was kind of curious about that. So she took him in and gave him something to eat. But again, as soon as he starts munching on the food, doing it purposefully very slowly, he hears the thump, 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 and the giant's coming back. And so, again, the wife hides Jack in the oven, and everything happened as before. Ogre came in, sniffs around, says the famous line, Fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. And then he ate his breakfast of three boiled oxen, which is like, man, three oxen for breakfast. He must really be huge. (laughs) But when he's done, he says to his wife, wife, bring me the hen that lays the golden eggs. And so she goes, she gets the hen that lays the golden eggs and the giant ogre says, lay. And there on command, the chicken laid a golden egg. And once again, pleased to have seen... (laughs) This chicken laying an egg, he starts nodding off, falls down, falls asleep, and the house starts to shake with his snores again. And so again, Jack creeps out of the oven and grabs the hen that lays the golden eggs and takes off like before. Quicker than you could say, Jack Robinson is a direct quote from the story. Yeah. But as he's on his way out, the hen gives like a cackle and wakes the ogre up. And just as Jack's getting out of the house, he heard the ogre calling like, wife, wife, what happened to my hen? And the wife is like so confused, like, wait, what's going on? And that's all Jack heard before he scurried off back down the beanstalk to bring the chicken home to his mom. And he's like, hey, mom, check out this chicken I have. And he says, lay. It laid a golden egg. And his mom was very impressed. Well, even though they have this like endless gold factory, Jack was not content. And so he decided he was going to go up the beanstalk one more time. That greedy, greedy boy. Yep. So one morning he gets up really early, goes to the beanstalk, and he climbed and 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 climbed until he got to the top. But this time he knew better than to go straight to the ogre's house because it was a pretty close call every time he'd been there up until that point. And you'd think that the giant woman would have caught wise to like his schemes by now. So he waited and hid in a bush until he saw the ogre's wife come out with a pail to get water. And he snuck in to the house while she was out and got into a copper, which is a large kettle that's used for cooling or to boil laundry. So he's hiding in this big copper kettle. And so the ogre goes about his normal routine, coming home, eats his breakfast. And afterwards, he calls out to his wife, says, wife, bring me my golden harp. So she brings it out and puts it on the table. And then he sells the harp, sing. And the golden harp starts singing beautifully. And that, of course, lulls the ogre off to sleep. Seems like the things that lull him off to sleep are gold, counting, watching chickens lay eggs, <laughs> and apparently singing. So he falls asleep and starts snoring like thunder, shaking the whole house. And it was then that Jack lifted up the lid to the copper, quietly gets out on his hands and knees, comes up to the table, 
grabs the golden harp and makes a break for the door. But this harp can sing and presumably talk because it starts crying out, Master, Master, like, I'm being stolen. Yeah. <laughs> and so the ogre, <laughs> the ogre wakes up just in time to see Jack running off with the harp. So Jack ran as fast as he could, and the ogre this time is rushing after him. And he's like, realizes this has got to be the kid that's stealing all my gold, stealing my chicken. Now he's stolen my magical golden harp. How am I supposed to fall asleep without these things? And so when Jack gets to the beanstalk, he sees that the ogre is like right on his tail. But Jack disappears down the clouds and starts going down the beanstalk. And the the ogre is a little bit confused. He's like, where did this kid go off to? And he sees, oh, he's climbing down this beanstalk. And the ogre's looking at that same beanstalk like, I really want to chase after this guy, but I don't think that this beanstalk's going to work as a ladder as it is for him. I am much bigger. But as he's sitting there waiting, kind of contemplating what to do, he hears the harp cry out again, master, master. And so the ogre's like, oh, I got to save my magic harp. <laughs> and so he swings down onto the beanstalk and it shakes under his weight, but apparently holds him. So Jack climbs down, the ogre is climbing down after. So when Jack got close to the ground, he started calling out for his mother. He's like, mother, mother, bring me an ax because he sees that the ogre is descending pretty close behind him. So his mother comes rushing out with an ax in her hand and I think is just, I don't know, a really funny sight because I imagine her being this really little old lady. Just running around with an ax. Yeah, and when she sees the ogre, she just stands still and she's like shaking with fright because she's a giant creature coming down from the clouds. But Jack jumps down, grabs the axe, and he starts chopping away at the beanstalk. And as Jack starts chopping the beanstalk, the ogre feels it start to shake and shudder. And so he looks down to see what was going on and he sees Jack cutting things down. So he starts to try to go down faster, but it's too late because... Just then, Jack takes another swing with the axe, and it cuts the beanstalk in two, which falls over, and the ogre fell and, quote-unquote, broke his crown, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> phrasing in a story about a character named Jack. And, and Joe came tumbling after. And Jack, now convinced that this ogre, whose crown is broken, is dead, shows his mom the harp, and then with that and the gold he stole from before and this hen that lays golden eggs, they use that. Jack and his mother get very, very rich and he inexplicably marries a princess and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh, I love how you said that last part. You're like, he inexplicably marries a princess. Because so basically this is a story about a boy who breaks into someone's house, steals their belongings, murders that person, and then lives happily ever after. <laughs> With a princess. <laughs> With a princess. Um, so what's interesting about that is that in Joseph Jacob's version, he made sure that the story ended with Jack marrying a princess, which he said is closer to what he remembers, like, hearing as a child. Which, actually, I'm like, that makes more sense when you remember that the story of Jack and the Beanstalk is kind of related to the story of Jack the Giant Killer, mm -hmm. where in that series of tales, the character Jack, after defeating all these giants and proving what a like great, strong warrior knight figure he is, he ends yeah. up marrying the daughter of a wealthy duke. But again, that makes more sense because he's not an everyman in yeah. that cycle of tales. 
so yeah, it's interesting that Joseph Jacobs decided to end his tale with Jack from Jack of the Beanstalk getting to marry a princess when mm. other versions don't have that. What they have is he stays at home with his mother. And now that they aren't desperate for like money because of all the stealing <laughs> or getting back what was stolen from his dad or, you know, however they right, how like it's- configured, but he ends up staying at home with his mom, no longer poor anymore, but definitely not married to a princess. Yeah. That last part of the story is so out of place in the story. If you don't know that the tales kind of go back farther and have other tales that end, you know, that make more sense ending with a princess. Right. Because you have no sense that there's even like a king or a kingdom, you know? Yeah. None of that is discussed at all. There's just like a, you know, a poor boy living with his mom. And, and there's a marketplace he can take stuff to to sell and yeah. an old man in the woods. Like, that's the extent of the world that we yeah. know. And they're like, and he marries a princess. Like, what? It's It almost sounds like there's supposed to be another, like, story element there that, like, yeah. gets you to that point. But no, it really was just Joseph Jacobs. That's how he thought that the story should end. And so it does. Yeah, so it does. And it makes more sense knowing the history. So another thing that I thought was interesting in that story is the poem Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum, I smell the blood of an English man, be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. That last part, I'll have his bones to grind my bread, sounded wrong. Yeah. Because when I say it, not looking at it, like when I recite it from memory, having heard this story in my life, who knows how many times. I mean, Walt Disney made a version of this story with Mickey Mouse in it. Yeah. But it's always fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to yeah. make my bread. That's the part I remember very distinctly, too, because I can, I can picture, like, in my mind, like, oh, grinding up bones to, like, as you would grind wheat to then use that as, like, flour to make bread or something. Like, yeah. it has a very visual element yeah. to it where, like, have his bones to grind my bread is it mean like you're going to use it as like a pestle from a mortar and pestle to like do yeah. the grinding of the bread why are you grinding bread i don't yeah it flips it but what's really interesting is that the the line i'll grind his bones to make my bread is actually a line that's in jack the giant killer cuz there's a two-headed mm. giant who says that line in Jack the Giant Killer. So it's funny because that is the part that I'm like, wait, I remember the line differently, but I, you know, I didn't know that it was connected to Jack the Giant Killer. And, you know, like, right. So it's funny because, like, when there's these elements that some get remembered and put in like different places, so they get like reused and put around. And also with that rhyme, there is a line that is fee, foe, and fum. I smell the blood of a British man, which is a line in Shakespeare's King Lear. Oh. So, like, it's just interesting that, like, in this, like, little poem that I feel like anybody who is familiar with the story Jack and the Beanstalk 
Yeah. Knows this, the fee five oh fun part. Yeah. So it's interesting that like elements of that show up in like other, like older places, older than, you know, Joseph Jacobs version. Right, recording it. Yeah. And that, that is fascinating. that's what we remember. I think that for a majority of our listeners, that all should have sounded pretty familiar, pretty standard. Yeah. So hopefully that was a really good refresher. I know that we have a lot of international listeners. And so if you didn't know the story before, now you do. Yeah. Which this is also one of those stories that gets casually referenced a lot in the English speaking world. And so it is a good one to know and kind of be familiar with. Yeah. Especially like the, whole- the line fee fi fo fum. Yeah, fee fi fo fum is big because, again, it's like you hear that all the time and it's like it is nonsense. It's nonsense, but it's used to reference that other stuff. Yeah. So it's like if you don't know what it's from, you'll be like, this is nonsense and you'd be correct. But if you know the story behind it, then you're like, oh, I get it. And the other thing I think that is the big element that comes out of this is the whole like trading for beans, like being used as kind of a, a metaphor for like doing trades, like sometimes in a way where it's like you're getting tricked. Like this person's trying to sell you magic beans yeah. that aren't really magic, which is so funny to me because in the story, like they, they are magic. Like it's yeah. not a trick. Yeah. It's not a trick. This guy's giving him good beans. <laughs> yeah. But in the, in like kind of culture, we'll use it. Be like, it feels like he's trying to sell me magic beans, you know, which is like in a way is to be like, it's too good to be true. It's, and it's not. Yeah. And, like, that's really interesting, like, what you're pointing out is that, like, yeah, when people reference this story, they are usually saying, oh, this person's being sneaky. Because normally, if that, like, (laughs) if somebody does do that, it's usually not going to end up being like, and it was magical. And that person wasn't lying. It's like, no, that person is, like, I was going to use, like, the phrase, like, selling snake oil. Yeah. They're selling, like, a fake tonic. That is supposed to be like a cure-all. Like, that's how we Yeah, that's how we see it. That, But it's funny because in the actual story, yeah, he wasn't doing anything nefarious. This was like a magic man that, for whatever reason, wanted to give Jack some magic beans. And it's interesting, too, because he kind of had this, like, he, like, did this test of his intelligence (laughs) to see if he was, like, worthy of having the beans or something. Like, it is... I. I would, I'm really interested to know kind of what the deal is behind that guy. Like, did he really just want a cow <laughs> and he would happen across it? Yeah. Or did he want to give Jack the beans somehow? Was he trying to help him out because he knew that he was in trouble? There, You know, again, I want to dive deeper than anything that is actually there. Yeah, it's like, is this guy some sort of like wizard figure that's <laughs> yeah. inviting Jack onto his hero's journey? Yeah. And like, it's like, no, it's just some weird guy. We need an excuse for something magic to happen that Jack can go and meet a giant. Okay. Guy gives him beans. Easy. Yeah. There. Now we're in t- inside the tale. That's what happened. So another thing that's been noted, specifically noted by Maria Tatar, of course, is that At the beginning of the story, Jack is kind of painted as this, like, layabout, slow-witted person. And, I mean, that's why he made the trade for the magic beans, right? Because he was gullible enough to believe that the beans would be magical. And he's, like, living with his mom because he, you know, can't get a job. And Uh. so, at the beginning, he's, like, you know, kind of this... Like a lot of negative things. And I'm not saying that him thieving fixes that. But 
what's been noted is that by the end of the story, he's been able to like outwit this giant. Yeah. And work for the things that he does want, right? Because he yeah. was able to put in the effort of doing all that climbing and figuring out how to steal. So it's like he he almost turned into an opposite character of himself that he was from the beginning of the story. Right. Even though presumably he went right back to not having to work anymore because he was able to steal all of this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, really interesting how his character, you know, is painted one way at the beginning of the story and then kind of goes in a different direction character development wise. Right. It's kind of like, cause usually you would think that you would see in a scene like that, you feel like it would in the scene with like the old man, you think that you might have some sort of foreshadowing of how he would behave in those other situations. Like you'd see some of that before, but it seems like the opposite, like the type, the way that he behaves seems almost inconsistent with that, with his character later on, like you're saying, but it's kind of also like, there's kind of just like different, different set of skills. Like he may not have had the skills that people wanted to pay him money for to do that. And he may not be very great at understanding the value of what you have and making good trades, but he is good at stealing. So, (laughs) So he is redeemable. He, he has that going for him. Yeah. And then he has so much wealth that he doesn't need to understand the value of things because he could just overpay for everything. So I guess what you're saying is that if you are lazy and not smart, hopefully you can be <laughs> rich. I hate it when people are like, like, people who are rich are rich because they work harder. And it's like, hmm. No, it's like, I there's do a lot not that believe that. It. Yeah, there's like, like a lot. There are some. There are some that are that work harder. There are some that are because they worked really hard and got, and got lucky. Yeah. There are some that did not work hard at all, and they just got lucky at being born into a super wealthy family. You know, and yeah. there's plenty of people that work just as hard or harder than people that do get rich that do not get the same breaks, whether because of like you know you know, societal injustices and inequality or just like the facts of life. They just happen to never run into an opportunity that would help them or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like, there's a, there's a lot. You can't assume someone's smart or hardworking just because they're rich or that someone who is smart and hardworking will become rich. Yeah, indeed. Now we are going to go on a little bit of a folklore journey and we're going to look at this really cool example of how tales can spread to other places and change over time, which, of course, on this podcast, it's one of my favorite things to talk about is just to, like, look at how things, like, jump to a different location or get morphed in a different location. And this one is super fascinating to me because a lot of the times we think of the stories as very, very old and happening hundreds of years ago, like this, like jump and change happening, Mm -hmm. but we're actually going to go to the United States of America to a, bringing it home, bringing it back to the place that we're at right now, the United States of America to a location that I truly did not know much about. Appalachia. Appalachia. And if you say Appalachia and Appalachia, they'll throw an Appalachia. <laughs> a little hint on how to remember the name. Yeah, it's helpful. The pronunciation. Yeah. So people will probably know this uh, a lot about me by now. I didn't grow up in the United States. 
And when I did come to the U.S., I moved to the West and I've pretty much stayed firmly planted out there. And I did not realize how little I knew about Appalachia until this past couple of weeks. And I'm not saying now I studied into it and now I'm brilliant at it. No, I'm I'm just fully aware now of how much I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, on the other hand, grew up in West Virginia, which is I like did. the heart of, I don't know if everyone would agree. Is it the heart? I don't know. I don't know anything about Appalachia. People from West Virginia <laughs> would definitely argue that it is the heart of Appalachia. And if you look at kind of the maps, because again, even having grown up there and spent a lot of time there. It's like, I don't know much about it besides what people say and do in West Virginia. But like, if you look at kind of like a map of where it spans, it's like West Virginia is like the only state that is like 100% of the state considered Appalachia. Whereas it like in other states, it only covers like, you know, little sections or whatever. Yeah. Cause it covers, I think I read it covers like 13 different states or portions of 13 different states on the East coast of the U S not on the coast coast. Right. The Eastern side of the U S side of the U S. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it kind of follows the Appalachian mountain range, which goes down from, you know, North to South along that Eastern region. So I was actually to help me learn a little bit more uh, about this region. I was listening to a podcast called Apod Lacha. It is a podcast. It says a shrewd, witty, comical, sometimes irreverent and always honest podcast providing a counter narrative to the negative portrayal and harmful stereotypes of Appalachia hosted by Chuck Cora and Big John Eisner. I was hoping that it would kind of be folklore and fairy tale from that area. And it was not really but it was just talking a lot about that area and you know what goes on in that area of the United States people from that just different issues surrounding that and as i was listening i mean they do talk about the mothman which is a urban legend yeah. out there but yeah the more that i was listening to them talking the more i was realizing how much i like did not know about that area So just like in Europe, where they were a little slow to get into the folk story collecting game, when the United States was going through a period of wanting to collect tales, they started to focus on where they felt they really had a folk, Mm. this like other group so they could find folk tales of what they thought were the folk. Yeah. Side note, everybody is the folk. It's just people. Like, it's just... (laughs) But, you know, this was in the early days, even of like the discipline of like, like folklore studies and stuff. But they saw folktales and folk tradition as something that only existed in communities of poorer people. And I'm going to use the word primitive here. And I don't want that to be misconstrued. Um, I just want to be clear that that was kind of the thought process. That they had. That they had. But none of the groups I'm about to mention do I... Katrina of the Fairy Tellers podcast find primitive or backwards in any way. But the first places that folklorists turned to to start recording stories where they thought there were like good folk tales to record were the African American populations and the Appalachian region. Hmm. And we talked a little bit about even during the Depression, back 
uh, when we did a, an episode with like voodoo tales, we talked briefly about this, that there were, you know, people who were sent during the depression to go and kind of write these stories down. It was a program to help create jobs right. for people. And so we talked a little bit about when some people were sent to record folk tales in Louisiana, Florida, anywhere where there was a high African-American population where they thought, oh, these people have like good stories. And the Appalachian region, same thing happened where, you know, people were focused on that area because they were like, oh, these people will have a lot of good stuff because they're very rooted in this like old and antiquated <laughs> way of telling stories. So obviously folklorists today view that as like, like wildly problematic Yeah, on a variety of levels. It's not good to go into an area to record folk tales into a group that you look down upon or like think that you're like better than that group of people. Mm-hmm. That's bad practice. So I have a quote from The Dynamics of Folklore by Bear Tolkien, who is a famous scholar on folklore studies. Um, And it says, since early American folklorists saw the rural atmosphere as one that might harbor fading remnants of folklore, they made their way to the Appalachians and other remote spots in search of the treasures of olden times. In tune with the feeling of the countryside in which the material were sought, the accompanying descriptions were markedly bucolic. Folklorists spoke of reaping rich harvests of lore, gleaning last remnants of song, plowing narrow fields of folklore, tracking elusive genres of the nooks and byways of the backcountry. One heard about small eddies of ethnic groups, song catching in the mountains, and inevitably the nurturing of a field considered ripe for the picking. (laughs) I thought that was really clever. Because, yeah, What he's talking about was that those early folklorists in the Americas spoke about going and looking in that region for folk tales, you know, kind of in those terms where it's very how they I'm going to use the word folksy. So, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, So one of those early American folklorists was named Richard Chase. If you Google that name, just make sure to also write the word folklorist in there because there is an American serial killer by that name as well. He is the vampire of Sacramento, but that is not the Richard Chase that I'm talking about. (laughs) So the folklorist Richard Chase did a lot of work in the Appalachian region. And in 1935, he got in contact with a man named Marshall Ward in North Carolina. Richard Chase had been uh, presenting some of the like songs, folk songs that he had been able to like record and find and research in that region. And after he was done with this like presentation, this person named Marshall Ward came over to him and was like, oh, I don't know whether you'd be interested or not, but my folks know a lot of old stories that have been handed down from generation to generation, like you were saying about the old songs. And so Richard Chase was, you know, like, what sort of stories are we talking about? 
And he was like, well, mostly about a boy named Jack and his two brothers, Will and Tom. And Richard Chase asks, is that the same boy who climbed a beanstalk? And Marshall Ward said, we call that one Jack and the Bean Tree. And Mm. so, you know, Richard Chase asked him, like, would you be interested in retelling me these stories and me getting them like written down and recorded? And uh, Marshall Ward was like, oh, I won't tell him unless kids are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, that's fair enough, because it's like, you know, that's that's part of the context of storytelling where it's like, oh, no, this is a performance sweep, you know. Yeah. Maybe an informal performance, but yeah, like the setting has to be right. You don't just sit around and speak into a microphone to old men. So it's like, fair enough. And so Richard Chase started to record these tales and he discovered that there was this really rich repertoire of Jack tales that were really similar to the English folk tales. And it was found out later that some of the stories had already been recorded in the Journal of American Folklore in March of 1927 by a Miss Gentry. And it turns out that, you know, she had said that her grandfather was the one who had told her those stories. And her grandfather went by the name Old Council. Mm hmm. Or, like, that's how they referred to him as, like, old counsel. But it turns out that this guy, Marshall Ward, also was like, oh, no, I heard these stories from my grandpa, old counsel Harmon is his last name. And so they started, like, looking into it because they were like, who's this old counsel? They, I mean, they kind of thought maybe it was like a frame story. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you just say my grandpa, old counsel used to say, right. blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But <laughs> when they looked into it, it turns out this man really existed, old counsel Harmon. And he had been married twice in his life. Uh, his first marriage, he had seven kids. His second marriage, he had eight kids. And so he had a lot of grandkids. Mm-hmm. And they traveled to different areas and kept telling his stories. Yeah. And so he is considered, you know, the source of, you know, where these stories kind of like started branching out in that region. That's awesome. Yeah. And he apparently had always said that he was told those by a family member that he had Mm -hmm. that goes back to England when they moved to the United States in search of a better life and settled in that area. They brought those stories from England with them and then had been following the oral tradition in that area and reaches retelling those stories and retelling those stories. And so the Jack stories spread through the Appalachian region and started to change to kind of match with their new locale. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm glad you think so. (laughs) Because I was jazzed about it. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm going to tell the story of Jack and the Bean Tree. And one thing that I love about this, I got a recopy of this book, uh, The Jack Tales, 
folk tales from the Southern Appalachians, collected and retold by Richard Chase. And it was first printed in 1943. And the later versions uh, were reprinted in 1971. If people are interested. But one thing that <laughs> it says in here that I absolutely adore is Richard Chase says, Try to tell these tales without the book. After you've got a drift of any tale, forget the printed page and tell it as you please. For all true folk traditions have this dynamic appeal. They stick with us and they grow and change with every individual who receives them. Setting such things down in cold print is really a hazardous undertaking. They do not exist in any book. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, I love that so much. So in that spirit, I'm going to be retelling jack and the bean tree yeah so there was once a story when jack was a real teensy boy (laughs) (laughs) which i think is interesting they really they really they made him a lot younger in this story he was a puny child and one day he was in his house with his mother crying and crying crying and she was trying to get the chores done and she was sweeping and sweeping and he kept bugging her So as she was sweeping, she found a really big bean on the floor. So she picked up the bean and she handed it to her son, Jack. And she said, stop your crying. Go outside and plant this. Maybe you'll get yourself a bean tree. (laughs) She just wanted to get the kid out of the house, which I I relate (laughs) so hard. So he took the bean and he ran outside and he dug a hole and he planted it just like his mom told him. And the next morning, he went out real early to check and see if his bean tree had sprouted yet. (laughs) And he was surprised to see that it had. And so he ran back in the house and he said to his mom, that bean tree is plumbed through the ground and it's gone, grown up knee high. And his mother looked at him and she was like, Jack, you shouldn't be telling lies. And she slapped him. Which again, like Jeff said before, we do not condone physical violence for children. But the stories reflect the time period in which they were told. And so she slapped him in the face. (laughs) So Jack started crying and his mom got busy cleaning the house again. But later that day, she looked outside and she saw that that bean tree had grown up to be knee high. So she told Jack that she was sorry and she gave him a treat of bread and butter and brown sugar. So the next morning, Jack came and he told his mom, that bean tree's done got as high as a sure enough tree. (laughs) And she said, Jack, you are not supposed to be telling lies. And she slapped him. Oh, man. I'm like, lady, stop. (laughs) Please. Like verify before you. Yeah. Especially after one time, he wasn't lying yesterday. I know. Check yourself, lady. But when she looked outside, she saw that the bean tree had grown up to be as tall as a sure enough tree so she apologized to jack and she gave him some ripe peaches and cream oh so the next morning jack came running up to his mom and he said mom my bean tree's gone grown plum out of sight you can't see the top of it she said jack look here <laughs> You know you're not supposed to lie, and I know you're surely lying this time. So she slapped him in the jaw real hard. Oh, no. I'm like, no, ma'am, please stop. But then she looked out the window. Look out the window first. 
ma'am. Come on. Before you hit children. So she looked out the window and she saw that that bean tree had grown up high, high, high up past the clouds. So she apologized to Jack and she gave him a big slice of cake and some sweet milk. So at least every time she slaps him, she gives him a treat. But also I do want to point out that that is the uh, behavior of an abuser. Yes. You can't hit people and then give them presents. That's, that's not okay. So a few days went by and Jack didn't want to say anything to his mom about that bean tree. <laughs> I bet. But then one day he said, I think I'm going to go climb up that bean tree of mine and see how high it goes. So his mother told him that he shouldn't do that because it didn't seem very safe to her. But Jack said that he'd go up there and pull off a whole mess of beans. <laughs> I'm enjoying using the voice. A whole mess of beans for her as he climbed up. And so she agreed and she fixed him a little snack for dinner to carry up with him. And he started climbing up that bean tree. So he kept going up, up, up. And he climbed all day till it was way late in the evening. And then he reached the top. So then just about dark, he found a big road up in the clouds. So he hopped off the bean tree and he started walking along that road until he came to a great big house. So he went up to that great big house and he knocked on the door and a very large woman came and opened it. And she looked at Jack and she said, who's this stranger? What are you doing here? <laughs> Which I bet it would be surprising if somebody you lived up in the clouds and then somebody just showed up at your house and it's like <laughs> a, just a tiny little child. And then he says, why well, I'm here because I wanted to come here. That was my bean tree, and I just climbed up, and everything up here is mine. <laughs> okay, whoa. Hmm. <laughs> Slow down, little child. He's just a little kid. So that big old lady, she said, well, you better get in here real quick, because my old man, again, I don't like the term old man. I don't like when it's like, this is my old lady. Excuse yeah. me. No. Put some respect on my name. So... <laughs> My old man's a giant and he'll kill you. He eats all the Englishmen he finds, which I find that super fascinating that the word Englishman pops up in the story. Yeah. In America. It's very fascinating. And Jack said, well, it's getting awful late and I can't get back very handy now in the dark. I don't know what I'll do. Aw, <laughs> this poor little kid. So she says, all right, come in, come in, and I will hide you, and you'll stay here tonight, but you better leave in the morning. So Jack went into the house, and the giant woman took him, and she put him in the big bake oven and set the lid over it. So since it has a lid, I'm assuming she put him in a, um, like a Dutch like oven. Like a Dutch oven, yeah. Yeah, which is like a cast iron pot with a cast iron top, if people don't know what a Dutch oven is. So the old giant came home pretty quick and he said fee fi fum i smell the blood of an english mum which i think is interesting being he alive or being he dead i must have some so the rhyme is a bit different yeah so the old lady said no what are you talking about you do not smell an english man it's probably the mutton that you brought in here yesterday and the old giant Sniffed around, looked around, couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from, and finally decided that his wife must be right, and he sat down and he ate a big supper, and then they both went to bed. So when Jack heard the giant snoring and he knew he was asleep, he came out of the bake oven and he went looking around the house. He saw a rifle 
hanging over the fireplace. So he took that and went home. Hmm. Interesting. The first item is a rifle. So Jack played around with his rifle for a few days, which, no, <laughs> don't. Children should not be playing with children, guns. Yeah. I understand you can teach young children gun safety, but just our lawyers would want you to know that. <laughs> that on the Fairy Tales podcast, we consider guns to be tools, not toys. Yes. Um, so after a while, he started getting a little tired of his gun. It's the most American thing I've ever heard. Uh, he, oh, I'm getting bored with this gun. I want something else. Probably a bigger gun. No. So he decided that he was going to go back up the bean tree and see what else he could find. Which, no, don't go back to steal more things. It's fine. It's not fine, but. It's the story. It's the story and I make peace with it. So he climbed up the bean tree again. When he got to the front door, that giant lady was standing at the front door and she said, Why, you little scamp? Here you are back again. My old man will kill you, sure as the world. I love the way it sounds. (laughs) He saw his rifle gun was missing. You better not try to come in here tonight. Well, said Jack, maybe if you hid me this time, I won't come back anymore. (laughs) I'm like, your logic, kid. I don't know. But she took him in and she hid him underneath the bread bowl, which I don't know. Have you seen what is a traditional bread bowl? No. A bread bowl is really big. Uh, It's a really big round bowl, but it's uh, meant so that it can rise on the stove usually overnight. Mm. Because what they would do is they would make the dough at night so that during the night... When it was sitting on top of the oven that was cooling down after right. having cooked dinner, it would, it have would the heat, heat to like proof. Yeah, to help proof it. Um, and then when they woke up in the morning, they could just pop it right in and cook it. Right. Yeah. When I think of a bread bowl, I just think of like when you order a soup and you're like, oh, let's get that in the bread bowl. <laughs> and just like the soup soaks into the bread. Yeah. yeah. Like a bowl made out of bread. Yeah. But it's not that kind of bread bowl. No. So the giant lady hid Jack underneath this bread bowl, and then the giant came in, and he said, Fee-fa-fum, I smell the blood of an English mum. Being he alive or being he dead for supper tonight, I'll have me some. So a little different from even last time. Yeah. So his wife was like, no, 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 you're mistaken. It's probably the mutton that you killed the other day. That's what you smell. But the old giant was like, no, I am certain of like what I smell. <laughs> so he, don't gaslight me. So he started sniffing around, looking around, but he could not find it. So finally he sat down and they ate supper and then they went to bed. And when both of them were fast asleep, Jack came out and he looked around and he saw a nice skinning knife. So a knife for uh, like field dressing animals, like a hunting knife. But it's for skinning. You know what I mean. You know what I mean when I say skinning knife, right, Jeff? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the vampire of Sacramento. <laughs> the vampire of Sacramento definitely knows what you mean when you say skinning knife. <laughs> Good gosh. Um, so Jack decided that that looked pretty nice. So he grabbed that, ran out of the house, and slipped down the bean tree. Jack's mother, when she saw what he had got, She told him that she didn't like him stealing, 
which I'm like, good. I'm glad somebody addressed it. Yeah. But then Jack said that he figured that everything up that bean tree was probably his. (laughs) Entitled. This child, very entitled. So he's playing around with that knife again. No, no, no. I don't like the word playing around with a knife. No. But after he'd had it for a while, he started to get bored with it. So he told his mom that he was going to go up that bean tree one last time because he had one thing that was in the house on his mind that he liked the thought of. So what he did was he grabbed a hand axe and he went out and he cut the bean tree halfway through Mm. and he left the axe lying by the tree. Then he climbed up to the giant's house again. When that old woman came to the door, she said, well, look who it is. What in the world are you doing back here? (laughs) My old man misses that knife and he'll sure kill you if he finds you here. And then Jack, for some reason, was like, you better not speak too sharp to me. This here bean tree belongs to me, not you. (laughs) Like, man, this kid, a little too big for his britches, if you ask me. He gets a gun and a knife and all of a sudden he thinks he's so tough. Yeah. But he's like, I'm sure you can find somewhere to hide me again. And she was like, no, I'm not going to hide you this time. (laughs) And if you come back here again, I'm going to tell my husband and he'll kill you, sure enough. And then she softened, I do not know why. And she said, well, I'll hide you now, but only if you promise me that you will never come back here again. And then Jack said... I'll not promise, but if you hide me, it'll be an accommodation. Which I'm like, <laughs> excuse me? Oh, I do not know why this woman is not just smashing this child. Like, get out of here. Rudeness. So she took Jack and she put him in a corner and she turned the old giant's hat over him. Which, that's not a great hiding place. <laughs> he might want to wear that hat. Yeah. So the old giant came in and he said, Fee-fa-fum, I smell the blood of an English mum. Being he dead or being he alive, I'll grind his bones to eat with my pones. Pones is an old American English word for cornbread. Interesting. I I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I had to look it up because I was like, (laughs) what is this? (laughs) This book doesn't have footnotes. I made my own footnotes. (laughs) As you do. Yeah. So the old lady said, you know what? I don't know if there is a boy in here. Maybe you should look around for him. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, I guess she had kind of had it a little bit with Jack. So the old giant started looking around, smelling around everywhere in the house, trying to find Jack. He even looked in the bake oven and he looked under all the bowls. But he said, I can't find him, but sure seems like I can smell one strong. But... He never went to look under his hat. So it was a good hiding spot after all. I guess so. Probably because it smelled so much like giant. Yeah. That he couldn't smell a little boy under it. That's my guess. So the giant and his wife, they ate their supper and they went and lay down under their bed. And on top of their bed was a coverlet. And the coverlet, which is a blanket, like a duvet. Hmm. The coverlet was covered in little gold bells sewed all over the blanket, just an inch apart from each other. So lots and lots of gold, also bells. And that was what Jack had wanted so badly. But Mm. he knew that if he started to grab it, 
it would rattle. (laughs) So what he did first was he went and he grabbed the giant's boots and he hid the giant's boots. Mm. So then he went to the side of the giant's bed and put the kitchen chairs in front of the bed. (laughs) So once those chairs were set up close to the bed and the boots were hidden, Jack snuck up to the bed and he grabbed the corner of that coverlet and he yanked it and ran as fast as he could because <laughs> the second that he yanked it, those bells started ringing and the giant woke up. And in the dark, the giant couldn't see where he was going and he bashed into those chairs. <laughs> and then after he cleared the chairs out, he started hollering for his wife, where'd you put my boots? Where are my boots at? <laughs> Where is my super suit? Where is my super suit? And she answered, they're right where you left them, I reckon. (laughs) She was laying in bed, not even wanting to deal with this. So all the meanwhile, Jack is running as fast as he can with that coverlet behind him, running straight back for that bean tree. So he started scooting down that bean tree so fast, it looked like he was falling. And when he got to the bottom, he picked up his axe that he'd left there and he started chop, chop, chopping. And the giant was right on his heels climbing down that bean tree. But Jack kept chop, chop, chopping. And pretty soon the bean tree started tipping and tipping and falling and falling. And when it hit the ground, Jack went along it to see how far the old giant had got so Jack found him about a half mile off, and he had only one boot on. <laughs> only found one of them. Hilarious! Only found one boot. So then Jack went across the country to where the giant's house had fallen. I don't know where the giant's house fell with the bean tree, but Maybe it, it just did. Like bumped it on the way down. Who knows? Maybe I don't know. So Jack went across the country to where the giant's house had fallen. And the dishes were broken up pretty bad, but he and his mother got a lot of good house plundering. (laughs) (laughs) All that wasn't smashed up when the house landed. And the last anybody heard of Jack, he was doing well, set up at home with his mom. The end. Nice. (laughs) Nice. So, some really interesting stuff for us to talk about with the differences between the stories. It's really interesting to me that there is no setup in this story with the cow. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It's like we had discussed in talking about Jack and the beanstalk how like they just needed some excuse to have this magic beanstalk that could grow up. And this story was like, they felt the same way. They're like, we don't need the stuff with the cow. We don't need the old man selling beans. Like just find a magic bean and plant it. It's fine. Yeah. And I loved how they did it exactly like you said. It was like they found this bean and the mom's like, oh my gosh, this kid is getting in my way while I'm trying to do the chores. Oh, hey, how about you go and try to go plant this bean in the yard? Like she was not expecting it to grow. She was just trying to give the kid something to do to get him out of her hair, which I just love. I love how like really like down home and earthy a lot of like this story is because it is like the characters are, you know, because I can see a mom with like a young child. He's crying. She's trying to get the chores done. I'm like, that's so relatable. And Mm -hmm. she's like, here, let me give you some busy work. To just like go outside and just plant this bean. She's not thinking it's going to grow. She's just like him digging a hole is going to get him out of her house. 
Yeah, and he'll enjoy it. And he'll, you know, have fun. I There's like a phrase that I like that's like, when kids are upset, having a bad day, sun and water are what can fix them. Mm-hmm. Either giving a kid a bath, telling them to go swim in a lake, to go splash in, you know, a pup, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like if you can get them outside and the sun moving around or if you can get them, you know, playing in like a body of water, it'll distract them. It'll like it, it yeah. brightens up their day, whatever the problem, whether the child needs to just have a nice soothing bath time or whatever. And I love that just his parenting, random yeah, parenting good, advice. That's so good. I never heard that before, but I like it. Yeah. I think it's good. Because I use that with my kids all the time, too. It's like if they were just grumpy, like grumpy for no reason. It's like, well, let's just fill up the bath and let you splash around in the bath. Or I would just like tell my kids like, hey, you know, maybe uh, you should go make some mud outside. <laughs> my son loved that. Just some sun and water to fix that problem. So like that that element is so like down home, earthy, like family like to me that it just feels like homey i don't know how else to describe it but then this like magical element of you know this bean trees coming up and this kid even though okay listen i'm about to say i really relate strongly with the mom in this story not in that like i don't think you know you should be hitting slapping children um Uh but it's just like yeah it's just this lady who's like just trying to raise her child and not realizing that this kind of magical thing is like <laughs> going yeah. on with the bean tree. Well, it's such a, you know, little kids. I know my kids are like this too. They'll, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you won't believe it. This thing happened. And they're like making it up, you know, like with their, their like imaginative yeah. play or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, you told me to plant this thing to, so it would grow and it is growing mom. And it's yeah, like, it's bigger oh, than yeah. that. And you're like, okay. The kid knows, like, oh, yeah, when you plant a thing, it's supposed to grow. He doesn't understand that it's going to take time, all that. Yeah. And this mom who's just kind of like, you're not supposed to be telling whoppers. You know, like, you're not supposed to be telling those big lies. Like, you got to stop it. You got to cut it out. Yeah. And so she's just trying to, like, (laughs) raise this kid and, you know, sort this stuff out. It's just funny to me that she's, like, so relatable. And so that's interesting that the story starts off in this way that's very, very new. Yeah. Like, not what you think. But then also very relatable like it's not very foreign to the story it still like relates yeah so then what do you think jeff about the items that he steals a gun a skinning knife and a coverlet yeah the coverlet is like the one of these things is not like the others because the others are tools that you know you would use like if you're living out in the the countryside or something like you have like you would have a gun that you could hunt or like protect your property or whatever and like again a skinning knife like if you're hunting you bring game back you skin it so you can eat it you know it does seem like something that would be part of that my guess is it's in there because it's something relatable to the lifestyle of the people that would be telling the story you know like their kind of way of life yeah which is something that i see like even modern day like you know with friends that I knew like in West Virginia that kind of lived out away from town, you know, it's like same thing. They have guns, they would hunt, they had their skinny knife. They would, you know, dress a deer or whatever on their own. Yeah. And they'd like, I find it so fascinating that none of these items are magical items. Yeah. And they're not like super valuable. It's not made of gold. Like, yeah, it's not like he found a gold rifle. Yeah. No, but he found things that would help them survive better in the area where the story was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even, even like the, the coverlet having like a nice big blanket. 
Yes, maybe the the bells themselves, maybe they have value if you like picked them off. But also, right, like yeah. the blanket itself offers like warmth, mm-hmm. comfort, a, a a luxury inside of like a mountain woodsy lifestyle. Yeah. And so it's really fascinating to me that, yeah, the items aren't these like magical items. They're these very like practical items to have these like these things that would help them like, yeah, get food and, you know, survive better, live higher lives than they were living. Right. But not with like extraordinary wealth, it seemed. Because even when the house crashed down, they're like, they talk about getting like good house plunder. Like again, it sounds like more useful items. Yeah. That you could use around the house. Yeah, it was a lot less about a singing harp. So one thing that is interesting actually like now that I bring up the singing harp is that the last item that Jack grabbed was an item that could sing or call out. Right. So like those bells made some kind of noise. So while they're, you know, a lot less magical, yeah. It's similar to the harp in that it alerted. Exactly. It causes that next thing to happen in the story, which is the giant is alerted to what is happening and yeah. can chase after Jack and kind of have that climactic scene of mm-hmm. chasing him down, following him down the bean, the bean tree, tree and then like falling and crashing. Yeah. And dying. So it's just interesting that it it went from this like golden singing harp to like a blanket (laughs) with bells on it. And for the fact that there is this magic bean that grew into a bean tree and he's going to a house in the clouds, they really did take so much of the like magic out of it. Yeah. Just generally in the story. Yeah. it's, it's, It's very grounded considering there still is a lot of like unnatural magical stuff happening yeah but comparatively yeah so i have this quote that this is from jack zipes in his book speaking out storytelling and creative drama for children there's a program that jack zipes has created with like teaching children storytelling and kind of discovering elements like within tales and stuff that's what the book itself is about because he thinks it's very important like a lot of fairy tales have important themes for children to like explore. And so doing that through drama was something he's interested in. But anyway, the quote from that book, speaking out storytelling and creative drama for children, it says the focus in our retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk is on poverty, greed, and violence. Here we have a young man who manages to succeed after making a mistake by selling the cow for the beans or selling a cow for a pot in the, in another version. The hero and their mother are poor and, in quotes, small people. Their situation is not unlike the situation for many single parents and their children throughout the world. Their triumph represents the triumph of small people who are constantly fighting unfair odds. So Jack Zipes, in that quote, he's pointing to the fact that, like, in this story, the the everyman of Jack is poor. He's not like he's not, oh, a wealthy merchant or even a merchant of any kind. You know, he's not he he and his mother are poor in kind of a, a rough way living kind of, you know, how we would say like hand to mouth. And in the story, they're able to kind of 
triumph and like beat the odds, beat these like yeah. not just giants, but also in the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. So not just defeating a giant, but rising up in their socioeconomic status. Right. And I think that that is exactly why Jack is such a compelling character for the Appalachian region, because it has historically been a very hard region to meet the American dream, the way a lot of people viewed the American dream. It was an area that made it very hard for people to achieve that. Yeah. And so like seeing a character who is kind of always fighting that Mm -hmm. had to be like really compelling. Yeah. It's interesting too. You say that because even today in West Virginia, that's like a big problem that they have is lots of people leave the state, young people, especially and go off and do things just because there's, perceived at least to not be as much opportunity there to, like you said, chase the American dream, make your own life, even though there still is stuff going on, you know, but it's like a real big challenge to keep people in West Virginia. And that's something that they, it's on the minds of the people that are living there today, you know? Yeah. So Herbert Helpert, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a made up name that I, yes. So, in the book, The Jack Tales, Folk Tales from the Southern Appalachians, in the appendix that was written by Herbert Helpert in 1942, he wrote, It is hard not to interpret the very direct symbolism in the heroes people use in their tales and legends. We realize a little uncomfortably that in these tales as told in the Southern Mountains, Jack is an ordinary poor boy who achieves success only in one of two ways, either by his wits or by sheer luck, and the latter method predominates. Here we have an almost mocking contradiction of what has been called the American fairy tale, that honesty and hard work are the means to success. It is difficult to know just how much of this is the conscious reflection of an attitude towards our society on the part of the storytellers. Sam Harmon, one of the people who they collected stories from, Sam Harmon remarked to me, if I was to name my boys over, I'd name all of them Jack. I never knowed a Jack, but what was lucky. His tone in saying this was only half jesting. And I think like that is so fascinating that it's like, you know, this person who they collected the stories from was saying, you know, if I had sons, I'd name them Jack, kind of in the hopes that they would be lucky and that they would be able yeah. to succeed, that they would have this American fairy tale, the Amer- they would be able to achieve the American dream in the way that people typically think of it as like, oh, you know, with enough hard work and honesty, you're sure to succeed. When these people are out in this area working hard and not seeing, yeah, that same success that they had like heard about mm-hmm. this like legendary achievement that they could reach if only they kept working hard, but they were working hard and not getting it. And so I can see why a character like Jack would really speak to a group of people because it's kind of saying what maybe they already feel is true in their heart that it's not necessarily about how hard we work. It really is just about luck 
and, you know, doing what you can when you can. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar It was a good ender. Did you have anything insightful to say? Because you know I hate it when you say insightful stuff after we stop recording. <laughs>